The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome, true believers, Marvelites, and Marvel zombies to this bonus episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, where we will be exploring the 1997 Wizards special publication discussing Marvel's Heroes Return event. But what is a Marvel event without a crossover? And so this time around, we've invited a marvelous guest indeed from the Marvelous podcast. It's Peter Melnick. How you doing? Good evening. So... I was told to check out your podcast thanks to friend of the show Chad Young of HorrorMovieBarbecue.com and I'm on board. I love this. And Wizard Magazine was a big part of said childhoods and as well as Toy Fair. A lot of Toy Fair. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they really went hand in hand for most people. That's what we found. So, you know, maybe when we get through this full run, we just jump into Toy Fair. People will be very happy. Now, we have to just kind of clue everybody in here because I became aware of your podcast through Chad as well when he was guesting on there and he was talking all about 90s comics. And there was a little bit of wizard conversation in there. But for listeners of our podcast who don't know, what exactly is the focus of The Marvelists? So originally, The Marvelists, the point of the show at one point was, hey, we're going to do a podcast where week by week we talk about one of the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, in the lead up to Infinity War. And then I realized, oh, God, I'm paying for this bandwidth because then once that happens, once Infinity War comes out, we got nothing for months. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, self. Why don't we do other things such as doing an interview with Chip Zdarsky, friend of the show, as well as, you know, just doing random Marvel movies. We were doing the uh, the Raimi movies. So we did Spider-Man one, two and three. And then somehow at my old job, I ended up running into the ever loving green hued Hulk, Mark Ruffalo himself, and said, hey, dude, you follow my podcast, my old one. You want to do this one? And he goes, sure. What's it about? Marvel. And then his soul died right then and there. But um, <laughs> what ended up happening was, you know, we've been coasting off of that for five years. But hey, it's all about Marvel. Like we talk about, you know, all sorts of content pertaining to Marvel. We talk the movies. We talk the television. Of course, the comics. We talk the Vidya games. I'm myself. I'm heavily hyped on board for Spider-Man 2. And we got some stuff coming on board for that one around uh, the time of that game. But, you know, just doing random interviews like we've been very fortunate i call our you know myself with podcasting the forrest gump of podcasting comic book podcasting because i have no idea how i befriend some of the people that you know i've befriended we've had so many like random people in the realm of marvel we recently did an interview with brian michael bendis and good lord was that a hell of an interview for people you know that listen to our podcast you've talked to people like jim valentino for example so you kind of you hit up that era as well and i'm a big fan of like that 19 19- 90s era like it's funny because I you know I'm a kid of the 90s but when it came to Marvel Marvel was and DC and even Image they were all like the the teenage comics like that's what you know your older brother is going to be reading little did you know we realized Vertigo was kind of the one that the older brothers and older sisters were reading but I digress and you look at 
that era. So like for me, I was like, oh man, that's the cool kid comic. I have to stop reading these Uncle Scrooge and Archie comics. Fast forward 20 something years later, I'm trying to hunt down Carl Barks and uh, Archie <laughs> books. Go figure that one out. But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh man, that's that's what the adults read. And as I sit there trying to read part 17 of a 25 part X-Men comic, not knowing what's going on. And then, you know, just fade it out a little. I would still check out with Marvel with, you know, the animated series X-Men, Spider-Man, Never really delved into the uh, syndicated stuff like Hulk or Fantastic Four, Iron Man. And then the early 2000s come rolling along. I'm sitting there in my technology class in middle school and I'm thinking to myself, you know, the Spider-Man movie just came out. I really like that movie. I should check out what's going on in Marvel.com. And they're letting you read Ultimate Spider-Man on. And then I, again, peace out for a little bit. I discover, you know, the Punisher video game, discover the Punisher movie, which... And then, you know, we end up going into uh, the early 2010s and, and I'm in college and I'm totally not pirating Deadpool comics on. Uh, no, <laughs> no, 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 totally, totally not at all. <laughs> and then I think my second year at Oswego State. I end up going in there to the local comic shop. And as I lovingly told Kevin Smith when I met him, I used some of my student loan money to start my comic book collection at the comic shop in Oswego, New York, right then and there. Shout out to Arlene. And just, you know, falling in love with comics. And by the way, this is how I am on the regular show. Very all over the place. But I assure you, there is a point to all of this. But in regards to that, you know, era of me getting in, I came in during the new 52. Like literally the week I came back in was the start of the new 52 picked up that Justice League. I'm like, you know what? I'm down. Little did I know that it's one of the most vilified and hated uh, eras of DC history. But I'm thinking to myself, I like this. Anytime I go to uh, Ollie's good stuff, cheap. And I'll come across the new 52 stuff and I will do my damnedest to snag, you know, whatever trades or whatnot that they have. And from there, went to some of my first cons, did uh, the late, great Asbury Park Comic Con over in lovely Asbury Park, New Jersey. Shout out to Click Albert for that one. And then, you know, just doing New York Comic Con, doing Terrificon for uh, Mitch Halleck and all sorts of other shows and doing this podcast, you know, with my partner in rhyme, Eddie Wilson. And Eddie will strangle me for that one. Somehow he'll strangle me for that. Well, and um, I want to mention about that. Obviously, Eddie could be with us tonight. My co-host, Michael, could be with us tonight. But I feel like we are the obsessives of our podcast. We're the ones who are, are, are deep, deep, deep. And we're kind of bringing in our co-hosts, you know, to kind of be like, but what about this? But what about this? Did you know about this? And now oh, yeah. Michael is, he's the one that in that new 52 era, he's the one who's going to be doing that for me. Because that's what I was like, not paying as heavy attention to what was going on in the world of comics. So eventually it will flip. I don't know where Eddie falls and all of that. It's funny because one of the things that I'll always bust on Eddie for on our show is we have an extra show on our Patreon, which is going to be ending very soon, but it's called You Haven't Read That. Because one day I'm having a conversation with him and I said, you, you've read Watchmen, right? And he goes, no. And I go, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, you know, it's on my backlog. I haven't read it. You know, there's a lot of other stuff. I go, what have you recently read? And he goes, US one. And I just look at him like you've read a truck driving comic over Watchmen. Have you read The Dark Knight Returns? No, but I'm sure you read Strike Force, didn't you? Probably. <sighs> wow. There you go. Yeah, that that's how it goes. Now, you talked about your return to comics, you know, when the new 52 was launching. And that is definitely the topic that we are going to be getting into today, as we said, because the Marvel's Heroes Return, a wizard special publication featured in October 1997 cover date. And a lot of these special issues didn't come packed with a whole lot. This one just had a fold out poster of the cover art by Salvador LaRocca. Jimmy Palmiotti inked it. But inside, there was a contest where readers 
players were challenged to design their own celestial for a chance to win four pages of original art by Salvador LaRocca from the four-part Heroes Reborn The Return miniseries, which we'll be talking about shortly. Otherwise, it's just a huge Marvel Comics love fest, much like your podcast. So I'm kind of curious, uh, just in terms of the Celestials, I first found out about them because I wasn't reading old Jack Kirby stuff, you know, from the 70s or whatever. I wasn't reading the Eternals. I found out about them through the Earth X, Paradise X, you know, all of that that Alex Ross was doing with Jim Kruger. But are you very deep in the Celestial lore? So when it comes to the Celestials, it, it's eternal stuff, right? I just came back from uh, Disneyland over in Anaheim. And one of the things I got to partake in was the Guardians of the Galaxy mission breakout. And they have the big ass uh, Celestial heads. Yeah. So you know it through that. And also, again, like it's so fresh in my mind. My little bit of homework before this, I read the uh, Heroes Return 4-issue miniseries. I'm seeing them. And it's one of those things. I feel like such a fake Marvel fan from time to time because like there's certain things the Marvel Universe is so massive and there's so much stuff like I'm firmly rooted in the street vigilante stuff like yeah I love Spider-Man Spider-Man is my uh, ride or die then you got Mooney who you know hopefully one day he will get that money back from Dracula and that that big effing nerd and you know Daredevil of course just a lot of that era and then I kind of delve into the Jim Starlin-esque stuff like the infinity gauntlet saga although hachimachi does that thing fall off a cliff very fast <laughs> and that that's actually a really hot take because infinity war might be one of the worst things i've ever read and then i'm just like i guess i'm gonna read crusade and i didn't finish it oh <laughs> It's kind of the same for me, like the cosmic side of Marvel never really appealed to me. Like even like I liked Darkhawk in the 90s when he's based in New York City doing all the stuff there. And then towards the end of his series, he becomes more cosmic. And then when they kind of brought him back around and gave him a series, this like whole War of Kings storyline where there's all these Darkhawk things. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like that was too much for me. His universe got too large. You know, when uh, Infinity War came out, the movie, like I ended up getting on a massive Thanos kick. And obviously the Thanos in the comics is a lot different than the cinematic portrayal played by Josh Brolin. But I love comic Thanos. I love Death Simp Thanos so damn much. Yeah. I love seeing all of that. Just what a vicious bastard Thanos can be. And I love seeing that stuff. And also just he's not as vicious as he is on film. But there's just something about that portrayal in the comics, especially the two-parter where I believe it was in the uh, Marvel team-up annual and then, you know, going off into an Avengers annual, just all that stuff. Like, I love that era of Cosmic. Big, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy fan. Although, as I, I've kind of changed my tune on this over the last couple of years, the movies got me into the characters, plain and simple. And then, you know, discovering what I like about the characters. It's, again, I guess when I'm, one more hot take for me, but I love the hell out of the Brian Michael Bendis stuff. And, you know, that's not a bias. It's like, I like what I like. But, you know, I always referred to uh, Guardians, at, you know, Guardians 3000, the OG Guardians as uh, the quote unquote shitty Guardians. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is good. People now know where you stand on these topics, but I'm curious to find out what you think about what Marvel was doing in 97 now. Because this special opens with an interview with Marvel Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris. Now, he is asked what he thought of the Heroes Reborn event that preceded Heroes Return, about which he says, quote, I think it was great to see those books 
books get the attention they received. There was a lot of controversy surrounding those books, but controversy is sometimes a good thing. Their response in a very vivid way showed the passion that the fans felt for these characters. And then on what his role had been in leading the Marvel bullpen through these tumultuous times, Harris states, quote, You have to tell good stories, and you gotta have good art on a consistent basis. As editor-in-chief, my attitude is, let's look at it and try to make it a little bit better, because we can always make it a little bit better. Peter, we're gonna get ready to talk about the individual heroes return titles in general, but do you think, just overall, blanket statement, were they a little bit better than Heroes Reborn? Have you explored that era? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, I do heavily adore the work of Jim Lee, and I'm indifferent towards Rob Liefeld, and you know, I love seeing a lot of that era. Like there is, there's something interesting about that time frame, and I feel like the whole thing with Avengers at that point being written by Jim Valentino, it breaks my heart that that run is so quote unquote forgotten, and it is in a lot of ways because of that time frame, and it's not you know the impactful stories, but it it breaks my heart because. It's written by Jim Valentino, a man who absolutely loves the Avengers. Like that is his dream gig. He gets it and no one talks about it. And it breaks my heart. Like I'd love to see the man get his redemption because Jim Valentino is hands down one of the most underrated talents in the realm of comics and just a phenomenal creator. And it's interesting because that whole Heroes Reborn era, you know, you get uh, the Rob father and you get Jim Lee, but you don't see a lot of the other guys like it would have been great to see Sylvester come back it would have been great to see eric larson be thrown on like a hulk title because hulk is around during the heroes reborn part but he's just you know thrown to the side in avengers but eric didn't want to do it he was too busy working on savage dragon which by the way one of the most underrated comics on the stands today i love eric and shameless plug for the podcast be sure to check out our latest episode which we recorded last year and now i'm finally getting around to uploading where we interview eric larson Oh, hey, all right. Yeah, we'll have to check that out. But like you say, yeah, that that period was really interesting because Mark Silvestri was doing a lot of stuff with Marvel, but he was doing crossovers with his universe and this Devil's Raid event and all these things, helping to put together these uh, Star Trek comics and things like that. So he was around. He just wasn't able to, you know, actually write those real, uh, you know, heavy duty Marvel characters. So yeah, interesting time. But let's get into how Marvel was trying to kind of, if not wipe the slate clean at least kind of brush Heroes Reborn to the side, which is what the Marvel bullpen really wanted. A lot of the guests we've had on, like former editors and things like that, they've said like, yeah, we were working from the inside to bring that thing down. So when they finally got it all done, they turned to Peter David and a newcomer, relatively Salvador LaRocca for this Heroes Reborn The Return. It was a four-issue series, little mini-series here, and it was going to tell us how the Marvel characters from the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, Iron Man, Captain America will be reinstated in the Marvel 616 universe by young Franklin Richards, who it's revealed created a pocket universe for the heroes to reside in after they sacrificed themselves to defeat Onslaught. I will say, in reading the Onslaught, that final moment, obviously they were they had a purpose in it, but like in the battle, I was always like, just them rushing into Onslaught and overloading him, that was <laughs> their plan, and Franklin figured it out. He's like, oh, but then I'll save him and put him here. I was like, the logic of it never quite computed for me i don't know if you had any thoughts on that if you were deep into onslaught or not not really it's funny when i get into reading a series i kind of go all in and like as you know if you listen to the show every few episodes you'll hear 
me just ramble on about this where I'll go, so since I saw Spider-Man No Way Home in 2021, I've been reading Spider-Man from issue one onward and throwing in every series. Spectacular. Marvel team up. Web up. Etc. Etc. As of this uh, recording now on Wednesday, May 31st at 8.47 p.m. You got to timestamp this. <laughs> I am currently going through Amazing Spider-Man, Sensational Spider-Man, etc. as of 1997. So I've made it pretty far with oh. everything, all things considered. I'm actually reading the uh, three-issue Hobgoblin miniseries, which I'm having a birthday while reading because it is insanely long for three issue it's surprising we might have to bring you back to discuss that run at some point then <laughs> i just wrapped up the clone saga i i like it wizard did I not like agree <laughs> evidently that's it's funny because so it sounds like when the x-men enter the mcu and they do an onslaught little mini series of some sort on disney plus then you'll jump all in on that <laughs> It's a possibility. To be honest, I've done like an X-Men read through where I went through. I didn't go through number one. I started reading Uncanny X-Men with, you know, giant size and then going 94 onward because I couldn't do number one onward because, you know, I, as much as I love the guy, you know, he's one of my heroes, as much as I love the King Jack Kirby and Stan the man, I just can't get into those early issues as bad as I want to read, you know, the first appearance of Juggernaut with the Alex Tothard, as much as I want to read the Neil Adams stuff with Roy the Boy Thomas. But, you know, with that stuff, I went all in. And then I just kind of taper off literally after Claremont leaves, because I've read, again, from all the way to there. And then I'm just like, what the hell am I reading? I, I don't know. There's so much confusion. And Clone Saga was much more, you know, simplistic for me than, than some of the stuff I'm reading. Like Wolverine now has a bone skeleton or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out this week and then maybe next. Who knows? Definitely. The, there's a lot that goes on uh, in the X-Men world. You had one consistent voice for all those years and that went away. Now, the thing, though, you know, you, you brought up your Spider-Man run. As Peter David explains what this Heroes Reborn The Return is all about. He says, quote, a story that explores one of the simplest, most elegant philosophies to come out of Marvel Comics. With great power comes great responsibility. And I feel like that phrase wasn't quite played out in 1997. That was still something you could hang your hat on and say, okay, okay. But he continues, quote, the story explores the ramifications of Franklin's creation of a universe, of his effectively being the god of that universe, and of how even in biblical situations god has a habit of destroying what he created because it's not working out as anticipated so how did you feel peter david did in wrapping up that experiment that was initially spearheaded by lee and liefeld david did a phenomenal job like in regards to the storytelling how fast-paced it was because i did sampling i did you know issue one of iron man avengers fantastic four and what was the and uh cap and you know, once when we get to it, Iron Man, oh, I have so many thoughts about that, that uh, first issue alone. But what I love about Peter David's writing is how he does he finds a way to simplify everything and explain it. And the way he does the handholding throughout the story, I didn't need to read any of the onslaught stuff. And it gave me a good grasp of what was going on. And what I got the impression of the heroes were born characters. They really did just push them under the rug because they're just like, no, th this this failed miserably. Kids love chains, but not that much. Let's just, just get, get rid of them. You know, we don't need, you know, the laser guns and, you know, the why does Liefeld make everyone look like they have a dirty face with those lines? Like, I don't get it. <laughs>
I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's definitely a situation where they were saying, you know, we made our money, we're getting out. You know, the our our staff who you were paying full time doesn't want to deal with any of this. And the main crux of it, I guess you would say, is that so you have Franklin Richards who is being approached by a celestial who takes on a human female form. So I'm calling her a she, but comes down through a telescope and burns this poor guy, like melts him down. Who <laughs> was working at the observatory or whatever, and then approaches Franklin Richards is kind of like, okay, you know, you have to make a choice. These two universes can't exist together. That's not going to be good for the fabric of reality, all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, like he contacts in the Heroes Reborn universe, his mom and dad who don't know they have a child because in the Heroes Reborn universe, they don't. But then it starts like bringing back memories. And then like the Avengers, their memories start slowly coming back. And then ultimately in issue three, I thought was the coolest because that's where the Heroes Reborn characters come into the 616 universe. Meanwhile, our core heroes that stuck around, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and everybody else, they're trying to like convince them, hey, you know, what's the decision going to be? Because you came out of here, you were created by this kid. And even in the ads... There's this whole quote they take from the comic, uh, you know, where he appears to read and sue, where he's just like, you know, they tell me I got to destroy universe, but I don't know which one to choose. Promise you won't be mad at me. You know, he's just like a four-year-old kid. You know, it's like there's a lot going on there where Franklin's teaching a celestial about humanity based on what he knows it means to be human and what life matters. And then meanwhile, all the heroes are trying to figure out, okay, who's going to sacrifice themselves? And, you know, as you can imagine, it's the Heroes Reborn characters who say, yeah, we don't belong. We, we were created, but we weren't the originals. It's kind of, you know, having their cake and eating it, too. I feel like the Marvel staff gets to <laughs> push that agenda there. And it's funny, too, because as I'm reading that series, it is the most mid to late 90s kind of comic with one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers. And, you know, as again, as I said, I'm reading a lot of uh, now post-Clone Saga stuff the lettering of certain things the lettering on the celestial is one of the most annoying things i've ever had to deal with because i'm reading it on marvel unlimited and i can barely read what is on there due to the coloring there's a lot of like this is the era where hey we're going to use all these different typefaces on a computer screw actually having a real letter we got a computer to do it it's a time frame where you're just like can we please just you know not rely on this kind of stuff that's my soapbox yeah. Higher actual letterers like Rick Parker. Really, my only critique of it is just I felt like it could have been two issues or one double-sized issue. I don't yeah. think it needed to be four stretched out. I know you said you liked the pacing of it, but to me, I was kind of like, I think we could have gotten to the point pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, there, there is definitely stuff in there that like needs needed to go for the cutting room floor. Yeah. But like I said, pacing is one of the the series biggest strengths though i will say like regardless of you know the needless stuff you can kind of look past it whereas like you know there's certain series that will be coming out like i said you know that hobgoblin miniseries that i'm reading the three issue with ron friends art and uh, george perez inking you know you're looking at that and it it's so long like <laughs> one of my biggest complaints and like it's funny i complain about comics and medium known for reading but i'll go to the old stan and jack stuff and I always laugh because like Stan will always be like, now, Jack, you have three characters on this page. We're going to give a word balloon to every single one. Even that guy. What is he going to say? Oh, hello, Fantastic Four. Good. I got my money this week. It's like, you know, like you don't need to see every you don't need to give every character a voice. Right. 
so the star of the miniseries essentially is Franklin Richard. It's, you know, it's, it's setting the tone for what is to come in the Heroes Return event. But Franklin Richards is the character that we're following. And he gets a sidebar of the strange journey he's been on during his mere four years as a member of the Marvel Universe. This is what we get. It's explained to us by Wizard. After being born in Fantastic Four Annual Number 6, Franklin had to have barriers set up by Reed Richards to dampen his frighteningly omnipotent powers. But then those barriers were eventually breached and he transformed into a full-grown adult who had the wisdom to realize he was too powerful. So he transformed himself back into a child with new psychic barriers he put on himself until he was mature enough to handle it. But then he joined the Power Pack and he learned he had astral projection powers, kind of like Doctor Strange. Then he was abducted by his grandfather, Nathaniel Richards, to fight in an alternate dimension future war from which he returned as a teenager, and he was calling himself Psylord, and he formed a super team called Fantastic Force. You're like, this kid! Uh, but of course, after riding on a time platform, he returned to his family. You know, let me know if you've heard of this before, as a four-year-old. Yet again, and uh, finally used his powers to create this Heroes Reborn universe. And now this is where we're at with Franklin Richards. I'm just curious because I know you talk to a lot of like, you know, modern day Marvel writers and things like that. Has he ever been portrayed as this big of a threat in the 21st century, either Fantastic Four stories or Marvel crossovers? Are they using Franklin Richards? I know uh, Franklin is a big part of the Papa Hickman Secret Wars event from 2015. Like he does play a very major part. Okay. He plays a major part, I believe, in the return of the Fantastic Four when they're just like, yeah, we're finally going to bring them back because, you know, Fox doesn't have the film rights because we own Fox now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you look at all that and Franklin is a very interesting character in the Marvel Universe. And I feel like the second that character debuts on screen, it's going to be a game changer. And like, there's going to be the hardcore comic fans sitting in the audience going, oh my God, you guys, it's Franklin Richard. And the person next to them is going to be that mad because their popcorn got ruined. And, you know, they're also going to realize, oh my God, what is this madman talking about? And then through the course of film, all these movies that are going to be coming out. will know. And it's going to be like, I feel like, He's almost like a cosmic Damien in a lot of ways. Like there's just something about Franklin Richards with this event. Like you don't want to mess with this kid, regardless of how sweet and innocent he is. And you know, the line you mentioned earlier, the whole mom, please don't be mad at me. I have to destroy a universe. It's like there is that innocence to that character and just that, you know, just how naive he can be. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm very curious. Yeah. To know, like you say, if he ever enters the MCU, how that's going to affect things. But there is, there's so much more to talk about this issue. I mean, it is packed with Marvel information. They really wanted to jumpstart people again. But before we get uh, into those things, we have to give our thoughts about these returning tales of classic Marvel heroes. We've been kind of dropping little hints here and there because Marvel was publishing four titles as new number one issues at this time at the end of 1997. So let's get get into that first here with Captain America by Mark Wade and Ron Garney. It finds Cap returning to the world with a hero's reception from the general public, something that ultimately is referred to as Cap-mania in other stories. And as Wade puts it, quote, he's really not used to thinking of himself as that much of a big shot. He's just a guy doing a job. And now he's on every newspaper and magazine in the world and everybody wants a piece of him. That's really going to play on his head. 
And of course, we have covered like all throughout this year of Heroes Reborn and Wizard Magazine, all the controversy about Wade and Garney losing Cap to Liefeld when their book was really increasing in sales and critical acclaim. And Wizard whined about it for the entire 13 issues of Heroes Reborn. So we don't need to get into that. But I'm curious, what do you think about this setup for Captain America? And from what you read, what did you take away? Well, out of all of the four series, this is the one that if I decide, hey, I'm going to put Spider-Man on pause for a little bit, this is the one I'm actually going to continue reading. Uh, as much as I love, you know, the Kurt Busiek, George Perez Avengers, this one, oh my God, if there was ever a guy born to write Captain America, it is Mark Wade, And that run paired alongside, you know, early Ron Garney art. Oh my God, it rules. Like this is one of my favorites in a quite recent memory that I really enjoyed. And again, it makes me want to also check out the preceding Captain America that he had done with Ron. You know, I think it was also, wasn't it post uh, Mark Grunewald? Yeah. So, so yeah, basically there was like a few fill-in creative teams and then they got in there and yeah, it was, it was really growing and everybody was saying how much they loved it. And it's funny too, because you look at uh, Garney's art, how Garney's art has evolved over the last 20, 30 years. And like you look at the Berserk, uh, uh, Berserk miniseries that he, you know, does with uh, Keanu Reeves and just a gorgeous looking art style. Like it's changed so much. Like it's almost like a David Mazzucchelli, uh Frank Miller hybrid, which is kind of nice to see. And looking at it like this stuff, this early stuff, you could not tell it's the same guy. Like there are certain, maybe certain little key elements, but for the most part, it is a different dude working on this. It's yeah, much, much smoother, more detailed these days. These ones are more like, I don't I don't want to say boxy, but like a little bit more just kind of like, you know, you got more angles to what's going on, but it still looks great. And I, I would say like, as I read through a few issues, what's interesting is Mark Wade does say like, you know, I wanted him to deal with everybody like coming at him like, we love you, Cap, like stopping him on the street. Like he's trying to get to an event to save somebody. And they're like, oh, Cap, can I get your autograph? Or, you know, he's back. So now he's more of a target because he's in the media so everybody's coming after him you know like hydra comes out of the woodwork and like really that kind of is this, a continual threat to him and there's this kid like you know young guy named like calls himself hydra supreme and hydra's all fractured so they're all trying to outdo each other it's really an interesting world that he has set up but i think the biggest thing for me is just that it is the stories really are self-contained you know there's little threads that continue but you can pick up any issue like i picked up the first issue issue and then i picked up the third issue and i could still follow what was going on and still enjoy it and the most interesting thing that we didn't mention is that in the third issue cap gets a new shield because his other shield gets destroyed uh, spoilers yeah <laughs> and he gets his old timey shield from an exhibit that he is able to use so i just and that's what he has for like a lot of the run so it's just kind of fascinating that choice and what gets me in regards to this uh, this issue of the Heroes Return special, I wanted to do a minor uh, little detour. If you go over to page 17, there is a compilation of Cap's defining moments. And I got a real kick out of this because, you know, this is around 1997 when this publication comes out, 96, 97. And you look at these moments, 
almost all of them, for the most part, if you do a Caps defining moments now in the year of our Lord 2023, none of them are going to make even the top five because so much more has happened with the character in the last 25 years alone. You know, you have his speech from that issue of Amazing Spider-Man. You have the death of Captain America. You have his surrendering during Civil War. You have oh so much stuff that happens during that time frame alone. And those could, you know, take over these three spots on this chart. Yeah, yeah, it, it is really interesting. They just have that moment in time when, you know, he'd had his big moments and a lot of people appreciated him, but there was so much more to come, like you said. Now, the next one here, Fantastic Four by Scott Lobdell and Alan Davis plans to take Marvel readers to strange new worlds, essentially. Apologies to Star Trek. Lobdell explains, quote, as fascinating as the Marvel Universe has been to this point, we've only seen 10% of it. For every negative zone reads uncovered, there are two or three other dimensions that's what I'd really like Reed, Johnny, Sue, and Ben to get back to doing, which is providing more of the landscape for the rest of the Marvel Universe. So I think that's a really interesting take. He's just like, we can just create so many new things. Why do they keep going back to the same place? And then he kind of gives a little detail like about certain complication the team's going to encounter. There's a new team of interdimensional anti-technology terrorists called the Ruined who want to make everything retro, he says, which I'm, I'm in favor of. And the, the fact that the uh, Thunderbolts team took up residence in the Four Freedoms Plaza while they were presumed dead. So there, there's all these different things they have to deal with. But as you dug into Fantastic Four here, what did you think? I would say this is a solid second, maybe even beating out Avengers. Because while I love George Perez's art, I absolutely adore the work of Alan Davis. You know, when you look at Alan's work, like I'm a big fan of his run on Excalibur with Chris Claremont. And it's funny because he's got a very, you know, he's obviously British, but it's that 2000 AD style and to bring that over into Fantastic Four is a cool thing and it does break my heart because you know obviously the man's had a long fruitful career but you know with Alan retiring you know from full-time work you know maybe we'll see him more on the convention circuit because I know we will be seeing him from July 28th through the 30th at Terrificon Connecticut's only Terrific Comic Con at the lovely Mohegan Sun Casino see stars such as Alan Davis and that's about it that I'm going to go promote for this here's but, your check <laughs> Mitch, you're welcome. And so, but what gets me is you look at his style and just how much fun this is. And I also like that when Fantastic Four is working on all cylinders, when you treat the team like they are a family of adventurers, they're not superheroes. And that's what drives me crazy with a lot of the portrayals we've seen over the last few decades, especially on film. You know, you look at that uh, film from 2015, Fan Stick, et cetera, et cetera. They're trying to be superheroes. Although I will say my favorite part about that movie is the Cronenberg-esque body horror that they just randomly have in there for no reason. And yeah, I'm just like, you know what? all of the different stuff they show. Yeah, you're like, oh, if, <laughs> not so If cool. they really had, well, if they really had Stretcho nearby, they would be pulling his face and doing all that stuff, like seeing how far they can do this before he's like, ah. And by the way, shout out to Rom guy, Aaron Myers, for having a hot button topic recently of saying, hey, I think that's a good movie. I beg to disagree, Aaron. But I also digress once again. 
and speaking of which, so I'm a little bit biased because my first comic I ever bought was an Excalibur comic. So Alan Davis is kind of like a big introduction to for comic book art to me. I don't talk about him a lot on this show, but I really, yeah, his art is really exciting. For me, I wasn't into the Jim Lee like style. Like I, I respect his art. Like I remember in the you know early 90s, I was everybody else was on board with it. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. I had posters and stuff. But like when I look at Alan Davis's art, there's so much more life to it. There's so much more excitement. And so, yeah, opening up, you know, the Fantastic Four number one and flipping through, you're just like, wow, this looks great. And what it is, is it's not a retread. Again, that's what Jim Lee was doing with Heroes Reborn. We're retelling all the big moments of the Fantastic Four. Instead, what Alan Davis and Scott Lobdell are doing is saying, hey, there's so much more they could be doing, but we're using like the classic attitudes. We're, we're bringing back the tone that you want from these characters. And so I just, I think it was, yeah, a very strong entry in all of this. However, now we come to maybe not the strongest entry, which is Iron Man by Kurt Busiek yep. and Son, uh, Sean Chen. It, it is a dream come true for the celebrated writer of Marvels and Thunderbolts, and who is also writing the relaunch of Avengers that we'll get to shortly. But about his enthusiasm for writing these stories for old Shellhead, Busiek explains, quote, when I talk to people online or at conventions, they're always asking me about the Avengers first and then Iron Man. But Iron Man is the number one book I've wanted to do. So Busiek goes on to say he feels that you have a star in Iron Man because he's multifaceted. Quote, Tony is an inventor, a businessman, a ladies man, and an adventurer. Any one of those four by themselves would make a perfectly good focus for an ongoing drama character. You could always go in different directions. Different aspects of Tony come out while he's in the armor, so people treat him differently than they would treat Tony and therefore Iron Man comes across as a very different person than Tony Stark. So he's really trying to sell you there's so many elements to get in on this but Peter, how do you feel about UCX's excitement about writing Iron Man and how that translated to the reading experience? If you can only read one comic this year, Kurt Busiek's Iron Man is certainly an option. It was <laughs> the most bland thing I've ever read to the point where I'm literally turning each page and i'm just like you've got to be kidding there's like there's so much to read on the page and i'm just like i don't need to read that why do i need to read like it's literally narration upon narration upon narration he's having a one-man monologue i guess he's practicing for his one-man show off broadway which <laughs> god bless you tony you know do what you gotta do that mustache wax isn't gonna pay for itself but it's a lot and like and like as i'm noticing these i'm reading captain america first then Iron Man, then Fantastic Four, and then finally the Avengers. But it's like each book, like more and more pages kept getting added on. I'm just like, holy shit. If, are we just going to keep going? Like when I got to Avengers, I'm like, Avengers is going to be a 50 pager. And it wasn't. And I was shocked. But with Iron Man, it, it's pretty to look at kind of. But it just feels like, you know, generic image comics guy. And it could be so much better. You got to really set the difference and that's why you look at like the same time frame you got you know mike waringo going absolutely crazy on what he's doing on you know spider-man titles and just making it a unique thing if you're going for like a tech kind of comic i feel like these ultra detailed guys are not really the way to go like you want to go with like bombastic like like a kirby style artist 
that's the thing. When I read it, I was just like, wow. Because he says in previous interviews we've read and here, it's been 20 years he's been thinking about writing Iron Man, that he's been putting in pitches, trying to get this gig, and he gets it. And you're just like, did you overthink it? Were you just too close to it? Because yeah, like that first issue, I went to the second. I was like, okay, now he's in like some snowy, is he in Antarctica? I can't even remember. And I was just, like you said, it's bland. It's just boring. There's, there's no, like I liked, of all the Heroes Reborn books, I liked Iron man the best and i thought it was very interesting and it had quirks that they added into the mix but this one yeah there was just there literally was nothing there there's nothing to talk about i don't know if it's one of those where they say well by issue five it really gets going but i don't think so because i never hear anybody talk about fusik's iron man run only as avengers runs but at this time we have to mention thor was not one of the four titles being relaunched as part of that first wave of heroes return but marvel had already secured john ramita jr as as the artist, no writer had been selected and they said they were soliciting pitches and proposals. But I wanted to get this quote in from editor Ralph Macchio because he had some interesting commentary on the recent publication history of Thor at that point before Heroes Reborn. He said, quote, Everyone dwelled on the Mark Wade, Ron Garney cap stuff, which I, of course, was very pleased with, but we were getting an equal amount of attention with the Ellis Diodato Thor. It should be mentioned. So Warren Ellis, Mike Diodato Jr. had a very short run on Thor where they totally redesigned him and it was very image comic. So but he says, We were getting very positive feedback. And as time went by, they were trying to decide what we were going to do with Thor and decided that for whatever reason, he wasn't going to have his own book in the Heroes Reborn universe. Thor does get a relaunch, though, as part of Heroes Return just a few months later with Dan Jurgens penning the adventures of the Thunder God, which again, I still find so fascinating because he had that short run on Sensational Spider-Man and launching that. And then now he's finally back, I guess, once everything is settled down uh, at Marvel. So you said you did not check out Thor, right, Peter? Correct. And it's interesting seeing Jurgens over at Marvel. Like you'll see certain creators go make the jump back and forth. Like friend of uh, the Marvelist, the Steve Orlando of comics, Steve Orlando. He's <laughs> a Marvel guy now. And it's like, it is one of the weirdest things, but it also makes sense. And then you look at the other side, like when Paul Levitz recently did an Avengers miniseries, it's like, why is the DC guy writing a Marvel book? That doesn't make sense because some of these guys are dyed in the wool with that brand. Like Jurgen's you know, has come back and forth every once in a while to do Marvel related projects, but he's Mr. Booster Gold. He's Mr. I killed Superman. Yeah. And, you know, he's always going to be associated with that brand. And it's like, you know, I'm a big pro wrestling fan as Shad Young of a horror movie barbecue can attest as well. It's like seeing Dan Jurgens go jump over to, uh, Marvel is like the equivalent of Sting jumping from WCW to WWE. And it's just like, sure. Why? You're the, you're with the other guy. That doesn't make sense. I will tell you though, Peter. So the, the book actually is really good. He does a great job. Traditionally on our podcast, I have expressed my dislike of the art style of John Romita Jr. I don't think uh, he fits well for Daredevil. I don't think he fits well for Spider-Man. His characters look like they're chiseled out of stone. These are supposed to be lithe, exciting, you know, acrobatic characters. And it looks like they would just drop, you know, <laughs> like there's no way they're too buff. They're too burly. He works for Punisher. Sure. And this was the book where I was saying, you know what? Thor is perfect for the John Romita Jr. style. Well, I don't like him anywhere else, but here I think this will be good. And it is. It, it is so like majestic. He does a great job. And Jurgen's idea behind it, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I'll just say is in the first issue, 
Thor gets killed by the Destroyer on the last page. And then the second issue really sets up what the series is. He dies. He goes to hell with Hela. And then there's this other guy that shows up and nobody knows who he is, but apparently he's omnipotent. They're like, I guess we're trusting you're omnipotent. Basically, he makes a deal. He's like, no, Thor, you let an EMT, you know, an ambulance driver, paramedic die while you were fighting. You didn't save him. And that is your sin you must atone for. And they send him back and he gets fused like he was in the old days with a human. So now he's with this guy, Jake Olson is his alter ego and they're just bringing it back to that old concept which i found fascinating and it's it's really well done so i don't know hyperion's pal jake olson no wait no wrong series (laughs) i think it's funny that you mentioned about the whole john ramita jr thing because i'm a big ramita fanboy like i love my italian comic uncle and it's funny because with john like you're the first person i've ever heard say in regards to and i i'm When I hear you say it, I'm hearing you say it as Amazing Spider-Man 2000, 2001-ish. So when I hear someone go, I don't like seeing him on Spider-Man, I'm like, but but, but Straczynski, it's, it's a good run. But it's interesting that you say as well the whole Daredevil run because you got the Al Williamson inks, which are pretty damn good. But I will say, I feel like the right inker on the right person works best. And one of my personal favorite Ramita Jr. inkers is not Scott Hanna, is not Al Williamson or Klaus Janssen. The one that no one talks about, Joseph Rubenstein. And Joseph can be hit or miss on certain people, but when he embellishes on Ramita Jr., my God, that is some Kino shit right there. Like That is some of the best inking I've ever seen on Junior Jr. And I don't remember offhand what series he did with him, but I know it's Mr. Spider-Man. And it's some good looking stuff. Like I, I recommend checking it out. Although he's not that great inking Frank Miller on the Wolverine series, but that's my personal soapbox for another day. (laughs) Well, there we go. Hey geeks, it's time to take a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped. If you haven't heard already, it's Smooth Sack Summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're Manscaped from pubes to bum. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in Below the Waist Grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh, dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code wizard 20 which my cousin just told me he ordered as well. Oh yeah, I mean, this is the season, man, like they're saying. And you know who's the king of summertime manscaping, Michael? It's Namor, (laughs) the Submariner. His Atlantean speedo leaves very little to the imagination and dude always looks smooth when he's battling the villains of the deep blue sea imperious rex namor obviously hooked himself up with manscaped performance package 4.0 and it's time you do the same it has everything you need to prepare that summer bod manscaped has built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming their Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade, 
to reduce grooming accidents thanks to its advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch to engage travel lock. That's kind of cool. And gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 Kelvin LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise shaves. I'll just tell you, Michael, like I busted out my equipment for the summertime. You know, it's getting hotter. I got to have less hair on the body, you know, just trying to keep it uh, nice and cool around these parts. I'm excited. Both of those pieces of equipment are just so easy to use. That's the best part. I don't have to like prep anything. I'm just like, nope, it's ready to go. It's a smooth experience all the way around. I got to say also the battery lasts a long time. Like if you charge this, it will last you several uses before you need to recharge this, which I find very interesting. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Mm -hmm. Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. And once you have the perfect haircut, you can use Manscaped's liquid formulations to keep that freshness, even at the hottest summer barbecues. Most importantly, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat with a soothing aloe vera formula. It's the best in the business for below-the-waist freshness, and this clear-drying formula will keep looking good while smelling good. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers, which I wear quite often, they're very very comfortable and the shed travel bag wearing sandals with some nasty toenails during the summer months take a look at the shears 2.0 a luxury nail grooming kit this kit includes stainless steel nail cutters tweezers and grooming scissors so with the performance package 4.0 your balls will be ready to impress but make sure you cover the rest with the shears 2.0 so how do you go from imperious rexy to imperious sexy go to manscaped.com now get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code wizards20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code wizards20 at manscaped.com it's smooth sack summer geeks get on board or get left behind now it's time to get to what i feel was the book that had the most hype at least for old school comic book fans at this point that were clamoring for a return to classic marvel which was the avengers being written by kurt Busiek and as you mentioned earlier penciled by the late george perez now it's stated for those who didn't know at the time that perez had drawn the avengers for 20 plus issues starting in 1975 he had a brief return in the 80s before jumping over to dc to launch the new teen titans where he gained absolute superstardom and that he was doing your know, crisis on infinite earths and all of that he was known for what putting as many characters as possible on a page and in fact in this issue there's early just you know the pencils no coloring or anything yet early art showing a page filled with every living avenger and says music about this quote when we gave george the list of characters he could put on the cover because it's george his response was there's only about 40 are there any more <laughs> but even then there are a few that he missed so the first issue of avengers they actually tell you in the back like there was d-man uh you know as an old kind of captain america i, I don't recall him a lackey Hagerod, whatever he was he was kind of a sidekick sort of for a period and then rick jones who had recently become paraplegic so he had to be redrawn in a wheelchair so it's just kind of interesting it's like oh they were officially avengers you're like really and that's what sticks out to me when you look at the cover of that first issue because you're just like 
like there are so many people I didn't know actually made it to Avengers. Like Dark Hawk's been like on every team. He's a secret defender. He's a new warrior. He's an Avenger. You know. <laughs> well, you you mentioned Rick Jones being in the wheelchair. He's technically not in the wheelchair. He's in the Professor Xavier uh, yellow buggy bumper car. Yeah. And I I love seeing that because when I saw that panel, I'm like, why does Professor Xavier have hair? And then I'm just like. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's Rick Jones. Okay. Because, you know, I binge read so much of the Peter David Hulk run. And I remember like he just randomly dies. I'm like, oh, well, he's dead. I didn't even know he was sick. But, you know, seeing all of these interpretations and the all of the primo George Perez art, like this is, you know, him at his very best. And he's taking all the lessons he learned on working on Teen Titans, on working on the Justice League, on old school Avengers, and he's putting it to the test here. And yeah, that number one cover is a work of art and is one of his, honestly, one of his most famous illustrations. And then, you know, you go right into the actual book itself and there's that little writer, editor, artist, all that stuff, that page, the information page. Yes. And like you see the, the statues of all of them. I remember like looking online, like when everything was going down with George before, like I I was looking into like trying my hand at inking and I found the raw pencils of that. And I'm like, Ooh, I want to try this. And I'm trying. And I'm just like, I, I can't do this. Cause like you look at his work, it is so firmly detailed. There's so many little intrinsic details that, you know, he put in his work and it is gorgeous. And it, it is a visual feast for the reader. It really is. And speaking of the inks, you know, they do say at this time they didn't have an inker in place yet because they wanted Bob Wycheck to do it, but then he got pulled over to work on Cap. So then there's a guy he could do double duty. And ultimately they settle on a guy named Al Vey, who does a great job, you know, with, with George's work. But George said he was opening it up to any inker, anybody that wanted to take a shot at it, he would give them a chance. And so I thought that was kind of cool. But he also elaborates a little bit more on wanting to include more characters. I love that side of him. And he says here, quote, I said to Kurt, whatever characters you don't want to use, I have walls and walls of portrait space in Avengers Mansion. I wouldn't be getting on Avengers if I didn't want to draw every single character I could get my little mitts on. Kurt said he wanted to have a manageable team. Well, there's a manageable to a writer and there's manageable to me. <laughs> it's funny with George because he would always, you know, put every single character he could on one page. Meanwhile, flip side, you look at the late great Neil Adams, Neil would do his damnedest to draw every single character, even if it was just a one and done print of the character. And, you know, fun little game we used to play with Neil back in the day when we would see him in the uh, tri-state convention circuit, walk over to his booth, look at the table, see what characters are there, and then think of a character he didn't have. And you would say, hey, Neil, do you have so-and-so? And then he would yell to his wife, I told you we should have brought so-and-so. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Should have brought 3D, man. He's one of those artists. He did art for, uh, if you look at the Toy Biz Spider-Man figures, he did some of the art on those. And, you know, when he passed, like they were selling off some of those Toy Biz original illustrations. Then he also did uh, th that movie with Paul Williams, The Phantom of the Something. Phantom I forgot where it is. I have it on VHS yes. right over here. <laughs> he did the poster of that. He wow. did it alongside Richard Corbin. And like, I recently discovered that I'm like, are you serious? And it's like, Neil was everywhere. And, you know, I was looking through uh, this issue. There's gonna be something that we come up to later. 
I have to talk about Neil. So I'm going to save that for a little bit later. Okay. Well, getting back into this here, I will say also, even the dead Avengers, they found a way to let George draw because in issue 10, because I just kept reading it. I've been picking them up when I've been finding them in back issue bins the last few weeks leading up to this. Issue 10, they literally resurrect all these recently dead Avengers. So it's pretty hilarious that he got to draw everybody, literally everybody. But Busick still by this point, because he says not until issue four will the actual roster of the team be confirmed. It's not always going to be 30 Avengers on a page, you know? But he does say, quote, Jarvis is the only member of the team whom I'm willing to confirm will definitely be there. It ain't the Avengers without Jarvis. And the faithful butler even gets his own sidebar in the magazine. There's lots of funny, just like stats that they put in there. So we'll put that on social media. But what did you think about the series itself as you started reading, Peter? So... It wasn't as dense as Busick's uh, Iron Man. I will just get that right off the bat. I like the issue, but I feel like it's a little bit too much for me in the sense of all of this. Like you have to be a hardcore Avengers fan prior to this to like really appreciate everything that they're doing. And while I enjoyed it, I didn't enjoy it as much as, you know, a hardcore fan of the group would. Like I'm a big, I'm a big Fantastic Four fan, which, you know, 10 years ago, if you told me, I would have thought you were crazy, but you know, and I also would have yelled, who are you? I don't know you. I don't talk to strangers. But um, (laughs) So when you, you know, you look at that run of uh, the Avengers, like leading up to this and everything, it's cool to see. And as an outsider looking in on this series, it is a love letter to everything that, you know, Kurt loved as a kid. And it's like, while it's funny because like, I would love to talk to Kurt now, like, in this book he's like talking about how important that iron man is like that is like his project like i've been i've been wanting to do this for 20 years yeah kurt well i tried reading and it felt like 20 years but in regards to iron man or avengers which is the more well-known one and which is one that is readily available in print at all times it's that avengers run and it's not just because of george's art it's also because of the storytelling that kurt does Yeah, I think it really does what it is. Like you say, you know, there's a lot of deep cuts there, but he is just fanboying out. He's like, I could put this in here. I could reference this. I could do that. But the other reason I think why it feels like it's got much more of a flow to it is there's so many characters. It's jumping around all the time to this person's perspective or this person talking to this person or whatever. And so you're not having, like you said, somebody doing a one man show off, off, off Broadway, you know, (laughs) like you have somebody who is actually having a conversation and lots of conversations conversations going on and new seeds being planted because like i said i just kept reading and really all these things pay off in a great way i will say so uh, we had our, our friend of the show kevin decent uh, from masslibrary.com who was on and he said at his local comic book shop he was known as the avengers kid and he when he was on a, a little while ago he was telling us this run is amazing i loved it so much but the choice was very bold for the first two issues, or I think first three issues, to send them back to medieval times into this like kind of alternate reality uh, fantasy world that Morgan Le Fay creates. And so literally like they're back. Okay, here's all the Avengers you know. And then issues two and three, they're all in new medieval armor and outfits. So George Perez had to redesign all of the Avengers. It is crazy what they do. Just in those first few issues, then bring it back 
to a normal continuity, but it's fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And I feel like this is a time when Marvel is like, the, isn't this around the time when the bankruptcy finally happens? Or is that more in yeah, yeah, the bankruptcy had just finally ended. So they had like been restructuring now and they're back like just, okay, we're, we're on steady ground for the most part. Yeah. It's like every year something good is happening. Like 1998, you have this run of the Avengers. 1999, I would maybe Black Panther. You know, yeah, I was like going to say Marvel Knights is happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, 2000, the birth of Ultimates. Then 2001, 2002, you have Ultimate Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man. Just like everything is rocking and rolling. And it's a great time to be a fan. Like there's so much stuff during this, like 90, I would say 98 to 2007 is a great stretch of Marvel history. Yeah. There's a lot of fun to be had. I'm, I'm so excited to get into that, that, that experience as we look through the pages of wizard going forward. Now, one thing we have to look at here, wizard could not get enough of these types of features, Peter, which was the who would win style competition between characters. So earth's mightiest battle is pitting the core members of the classic Avengers lineup against one another with input from Kurt Busiek, but kind of in protest. Cause he states emphatically quote, these are the Avengers they wouldn't be fighting each other but peter uh as we go through this let me know if you agree or disagree with how this hypothetical melee plays out in the avengers mansion a fight breaks out first between hawkeye and the scarlet witch but it finds the archer triumphing over the mutant sorceress after a short battle with the use of a taser arrow. That's all it took, because as music explains, quote, her hex abilities have never been something she could command perfectly. Hawkeye just doesn't have any power, but is consummately skillful. What do you think? I don't think Hawkeye would win. I just there's something about the the chaos magic of Wanda that would avert everything like regardless of anything like he's quick but he's just he's just one man she could like you know fly the arrow backwards maybe like you know make a steve martin bit happen in the middle of everything <laughs> who knows but no way is hawkeye gonna beat uh the scarlet witch i think wizard had a little bit of a hawkeye bias but as they go into this you know they relent a little bit because he loses against the vision who is getting revenge for his wife's defeat by pulling the old put an intangible hand into the opponent's chest and solidify it slightly to shock their system so uh interestingly though after that in a major upset the Wasp defeats the Vision by shrinking so small that she can fit inside Vision's head and fry his circuits. So what do you think about Vision's involvement here? So Vision's victory and Vision's loss both make perfect sense, and I'm completely on board. I, I love the bizarreness of comics where you can have a character shrink down and be just like, yeah, I'm going to go inside your pores. Kaboom, I'm big. It's like, yeah, that's going <laughs> to happen. Like That's an easy way to win a battle. Absolutely. Now, Janet Van Dyne gains another victory over her ex-husband, Hank Pym, Giant Man at this time, due to her maneuverability and ability to land punches between his big swings. She can fly, he can't. And as Busick puts it, quote, I can't see that ending any other way but Jan triumphant. <laughs> you like it? Oh, yeah. And 
you know, she's also got the gift of flight. Like she can easily escape from the fight and then maybe do something and go from there. Like it's, she's got a lot of one up over giant man. Yes. You know, she can get big just at least to normal size. Whereas you get bigger and bigger, you get a little bit slower and slower. When I look at it, I just look at Hank Pym created, you know, her ability to shrink. I have to feel like he has some way to negate it. You know, like he has something that would like cancel it out. That's my only thought in that. But getting to the next one here, the advanced tracking and targeting systems in Iron Man's armor allow him to figure out Jan's flight pattern and, you know, swat her with a repulsor ray blast. According to Busick, he's only got to hit her once and then she goes down. 100%. And also, I feel like it would be perfect for him to defeat her, especially through the gigantic laser beam from Marvel versus Capcom 2. Just, you know, <laughs> set that whole thing up and go. Vroom. Yeah. Now, Thor's strength and warrior will allow him to pummel Iron Man's armor relentlessly until the Asgardian walks away victorious. It's kind of no contest. <laughs> yeah, he, the dude is a god. Man in a can versus a god. Not going to do it. In the final round here, adding to his legendary fighting prowess, Captain America remains the ultimate Avenger and defeats Thor by tricking him into destroying the lobby of the Chrysler building and all its supports, causing the entire structure to crush the God of Thunder. And Busiek declares, quote, buried under that much concrete and steel, which he brought down on himself, would be enough to take him out. Captain America wins. My only thing I don't buy with that is Captain America would not be for such wanton destruction. He would not be, you know, destroying a building and seeing everything go down kaflooey. He would be like, we have to clean this up. All right, uh, Jake Olson. I want you to get the mop and bucket and we're going to clean this up. It does make sense. Yeah, it's definitely, this is not, you know, a man of steel situation. Captain America would not allow that to happen. They do mention after the fact that they felt like he would be out helping out all the civilians who may have been, you know, caught in the, uh, the melee somewhat. I wanted to bring up real quick in this issue, they got an ad for the uh, Marvel imports where it is the Marvel manga. And you're seeing like the, semi-forgotten Spider-Man manga. And this is a time for Marvel where, first off, manga's slowly starting to creep its way up in the American zeitgeist. And it's it's there, but it's not. Like, you're not going to be seeing, you know, like a kid wearing a flame uh, Dragon Ball Z button-down T-shirt and his spiked hair looking like the lead singer of Smash Mouth as he tries to buy a bunch of manga and Pokemon cards. That's not going to be until at least 2003 at the very least. But you're seeing like this stuff. It's it's bold experimentation from the House of Ideas that unfortunately is a little too soon, you know? Yeah, they were ahead of the curve. And actually in our mini episode that just dropped today, in issue 75, they were covering the Spider-Man manga and they were talking about how it came from the 70s. And it had been going for a while. So they were just bringing it over what was already created. So it wasn't even like we're doing it manga style. That comes a little bit later. I think they do something called like the manga verse or something. But at yes. this time, they were just pulling old stuff they had licensed out and releasing it to the American audience, which is interesting. And they were individual uh, issues, just like a regular comic book. And I feel like doing that with 70s material is a bit of a risky move, especially then. Like you look at, you know, the distinguished competition. They're going off in like 2014, 15-ish, finally releasing the Batmanga stuff from the 1960s. And 
they do it in a way where it's like, yes, this is older content that, you know, Billy, who just really, really loves My Hero Academia, he's not going to want to read this. He's going to want to go off and read Demon Slayer. But the way it's presented in the format of how that is for DC, it's a much more like, hey, this is for the serious collector. That's how Spider Manga should have been uh, presented. Yeah, because it's not something I've ever found in like back issue bins or anything. So I don't I don't know that very many people were buying it. I would love to see it around, though. They're very hard to find, especially since uh, I believe sometime last year, the boys at Cartoonist Kayfabe had the Kayfabe effect in full effect. And you can't find that anywhere now. Oh, they spotlighted it. There you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, this issue does feature a comic strip by Brian Douglas Ahern, the old stalwart there in Wizard, where unpopular heroes from Marvel's past return to the chagrin of the fans on the other side of a portal. And so you get D-listers like Razorback and the Two-Gun Kid, Texas Twister, and Shooting Star, who all earn their share of groans, along with the you know, Morts, as they called them, the Morts of the Month, like Poltergeist, Daddy Longlegs, and Shadow. Shamrock, who was featured in Marvel's Contest of Champions miniseries. And speaking of which, there is a feature, Contest of Champions, which is ranking Marvel's 10 biggest crossovers up to this point, including the titular Contest of Champions, Marvel's Superhero Secret Wars, the Korvac Saga, the Evolutionary War, Onslaught, Inferno, the Kree Scroll War, the Age of Apocalypse, the Surtur Saga, and finally, the Infinity Gauntlet is in the number one spot is it any wonder it was made into two movies (laughs) peter do you have a favorite among these events have you gone back to read any of these classics so my numero uno out of all these is matching this i gotta go with uh the infinity gauntlet as my number one because you know you got everything leading up to it the thanos quest two issue prestige series fantastic stuff you got great george perez art being his most george perez there's Ron Lim. Uh, it, it, my biggest downside, I love Ron Lim. He's gotten better as he's gotten older. It's kind of like certain creators who people absolutely love. I'm just like, eh, I like when they're a little bit older and they do newer stuff. Like my hot take is again, I don't really care for uh, 1980s Mike Zek. And everybody loves Secret Wars Mike Zek. Everyone loves Punisher Mike Zek. I'm like, eh, I like Soul of the Hunter uh, Mike Zek. I love all that other stuff. I like current Ron Lim, like that uh, Warlock miniseries that he just did alongside Ron Mars. Good stuff. And it looks really great. Maybe it's an issue of an anchor. I don't know. But another series out of all these miniseries, these big events, you can't go wrong without the Kree Scroll War. You have the work of the late, great Neil Adams. You have the late, great John Buscema. And you have his brother, Sal, who is one of the most underrated talents in the realm of comics. And, you know, a little inside baseball for the Marvelists. I always try and hunt down guests for our show. If I'm on like a big kick for something, I was reading Spectacular Spider-Man in my read through and I'm like, I got to try and get him. I was doing so much research of trying to find who I could speak with, got in touch with one person, got in touch with another and was told, you know, Sal is retired from doing podcasts and he's retired from doing art, just the occasional linking job, which broke my heart. But on the flip side, hey, we got some other people coming from that uh, time frame, including the always wonderful and affable Joe St. Pierre. So that episode is going to be dropping very soon. But, you know, in regards to the Cree Scroll War, it's it is iconic for a reason you know that neil adams artwork which i've seen like i got to visit the continuity studios in new york city before neil passed and 
it was cool to see some of that stuff, like not the original art, but like recreations that Neil did blown up like a certain size and like the detail, like the pages where Ant-Man is going through uh, the Vision's body and like you're seeing all that stuff, the circuitry. It's so friggin' cool and it's great storytelling and it's, you know, Roy the boy knows what he's doing and makes like this big thing, like the callbacks, the cows from the uh, second issue of the Fantastic Four are involved in this. Why? Because Roy really loves comics. He really loves comics. So and here's my hot take just real quick on Neil Adams is I'm actually not a big Neil Adams fan. <gasps> I, it's too scratchy for me. It's not. Like, I get that. Yeah, I love the anatomy and everything he does, but it just, it, it never feels finished, the artwork for me. But somebody like, I feel like is the next step from him is like Jim Aparo. And I love his you know, work. Like if I'm compared Batman's, for example, you know, right. I, feel, I feel like he's like the next step from Neil Adams. He just got more crisp lines, you know, <laughs> on his, I can see that. Yeah. You know? Now, as far as like the, these crossovers, obviously like I've had like, you know, the full super, you know, Marvel superheroes, secret wars run since the nineties. Like that's, that, but that's, that's a toy promotion. I mean, there's really not a lot going on there except, you know, there's, there is some exciting stuff with the black costume and a couple little things there. There's some fun pieces, Jim Shooter, did a nice job with what he was doing but like the one that i was most interested in that i haven't read reading the uh synopsis that wizard was providing is the evolutionary war because obviously like the high evolutionary is a big deal right now because of guardians volume three and so all that's happening and he's in there but this story sounds it's got some interesting twists and turns that i was not anticipating and i know it was like a big you know crossover event into a lot of books so i might have to hunt that down it's interesting. And I mean, if you want to go with, you know, everything involving the Evolutionary War, be sure to track down the ALF uh, annual because that is technically an Evolutionary War tie in. And I love it. God, comics are an amazing thing. Yes. But, but um, I, I've read the Evolutionary War because, again, with the Spider Man read through as well as, you know, my uh, X Men read through. Eh. Okay. I got to revisit it because I do love uh, the interpretation in the MCU of how high evolutionary is obviously different kind of character, but for what it is, it's cool to see. Yeah. So I may check it out. The one thing that was definitely missing here though, Atlantis attacks didn't make the list. Ah, <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> cracks me up all right now there is also a feature in this issue titled harbingers of doom and it is highlighting the major villains of the marvel universe it's basically it's just kind of like you know little bios little checklist but i'm just curious for you in the pantheon of marvel villains is there one on this list that really stands out to you that you can say yeah i mean he's the guy he's the one <laughs> I, I do think it's funny that the number one they list the Celestials as villains, and I guess they are, but they're, aren't they like above mere villainy? <laughs> they have a higher purpose. Well, so Ultron is a great villain. Kang, Red Skull, the the uh, Beekeepers of AIM are okay. They're, they're more like somehow even more, what's the word? Idiotic Stormtroopers. You got yeah. Baron Zemo, which in the comics, eh, he's okay. But if I had to go with like my numero uno for this, you gotta go with Dr. Doom. Like there's, he's one of the most powerful for a reason. Like there's just, he's special. He's one of those where everything we know about, you know, the Marvel universe, like he's that ominous big bad, that, you know, is there and he's willing to do anything to get his way. Like at one point he's willing to kill everything in the hero's return book. He's like, nah, we're good. 
I'm just yeah, gonna, he you know. goes, he steals Franklin Richards away. He's, gonna, he's like, I took the Beyonders powers once. I'm going to take this kid's powers. <laughs> that was pretty great. Doctor Doom reminds me of a bee when you think about it. A bee will literally kill itself to ruin your day. Yeah. And he's when the you thing think- I like about him is he's an opportunist. Is he yes. sees the place where it's the most strategically advantageous to him, and then he will get in there. But he's not like, oh, here I am attacking and taking over the world, which is what I feel like Hydra is always doing. You're like, nah, you guys are dumb. You know, <laughs> he's just like, oh, I'm sneaking in here and I'm gonna take care of this. Cause the other person on the list is Loki, who obviously his star has risen with the MCU in a big way. But I feel like in the comics, he's probably more sympathetic these days that he is like a threat and obviously doom has a lot of pathos that you get into also where you really but like for me what i love about him is i was huge into the 2099 books when they launched so i was buying all those so doom 2099 to me is a fascinating tale too because it's like really he's still in it for himself but he's gonna work with these kind of freedom fighters for a time you know until he can find out who he really is am i actually doom am i this am I, you know so i i, I think he he has had so many interesting permutations, but also can remain classic. He's never really had to have an update to his costume. It just works. So. Isn't it weird to see in the, this list, by the way, like, you know, this is how much things have changed in the last 25 plus years. Absorbing Man is in here, but a character like Thanos or even, you know, Magneto, none of them are represented. And mind yeah. you, you know, obviously Magneto is an X-Men villain, but He's still tangled with the Avengers and all that. But it's weird seeing like those big bads are not represented. It's like this is a perfect timestamp of where the Marvel Universe is at that point. It's almost like you kind of take the X books for granted at this point. It's just like everybody knows who they are. And there is a lot of hype for the X-Men titles in this book. And it's kind of like, oh, this is how Heroes Return is going to affect that. Or here's what to look for in the X-Men books and all the rest of the Marvel titles that were still around. Uh, You know, I'm curious, were you reading any of these books in 97 that are being highlighted here? Were you, a lot of people tell us, oh, I loved Alpha Flight, you know, or Heroes for Hire or Ghost Rider was kind of getting weird, but I was reading it. Like Maverick, especially, I know is one that people always say, oh, Maverick was so good. So I was not at this time. Like I said, I like fell off of comics. I want to say from it had to have been at least by like 1996, like a nice cutoff point right then. Because I remember Marvel versus DC, which for me, that is like my childhood right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but, you know, from 97 all the way to I want to say maybe 2001 to even 2011, I fell off massively. So like I was long gone and I just came in like the MCU helped like kick it back in and, you know, seeing Deadpool through the dank memes on the Internet. But, you know, when I go back now and I visit this stuff like for the first time, the one book that I primarily go to in like 97 is the Joe Kelly Deadpool. Like there is something special about that run. A lot of like. I've wanted to visit it because of how bizarre it is, but like 97, 98, like that era of Punisher, because Punisher is <sighs> Punisher is one of the most bizarre characters I've ever seen in my life where, you know, there was a topic I'm going to try and pull it up right now, but like I made a list 
of every single crazy thing that has happened to the Punisher up to a certain point. There. You know, core Punisher, guy with a gun, out for revenge against the mob. And it's like, how long exactly. can you do that until you've killed all the mobsters? So you got to go in interesting directions. <laughs> it's Charles Bronson with white go-go boots and no yeah. mustache. But like the list I made was the Punisher has some of the most bonkers moments in comics. And here's my list. Became an angel of death. Surgically changed his ethnicity. Punished in space. Got tortured with a bag of urine over his face. Punched a polar bear in the face. Weaponized said polar bears. Became a reanimated monster. Teamed up with Eminem. Held Archie at gunpoint. And then some other people in the comments said back like he went back in time and became baby Thanos's nanny. Uh, <laughs> he murdered a teenage drug dealer in one of the back to school specials, although they could be wrong about that. He teamed up with a dead Doctor Strange via possession and killed a ton of Empire X-Men. Just again, you look at like that character. It's like even in 97, like Punisher is like, he's out there. Well, and what's strange is that there's one more that is probably his biggest achievement and really fits in here is that uh, in issue 75 of Wizard, which we just covered on the Market Watch page, right underneath the top 10 artists and writers list, they're highlighting Punisher kills the Marvel Universe. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, that, that's another one. He went on a, a killing spree. And by the way, you know, one thing with that book, it is one of those stories like I've revisited over the years. I just can't get into that art. Like I, I'm a big Garth Ennis fanboy. Like Garth is one of my all time favorite writers. And that's the one where I'm just like, I can get behind the writing kind of, but the art like takes me out of it so much. I don't know why. In premise alone, it gets your attention, but yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. that'll happen for sure. So, all right. Well, thank you for coming at us with a list. Hey, you added one more <laughs> to, to our recording time here. But as we close out, they want to leave us with some humor, hopefully some laughs, and they do so in the form of a retrospective titled While You Were Away, which highlights the big pop culture news from the year in which all of those Marvel heroes were trapped in the pocket universe. So we're going to just kind of take turns reading through this list here and see what Wizard thought was the most important. Starting out here, I'm just going to describe the picture to you to begin with, because it's the Star Wars re-release, you know, the special editions, the scene where Han Solo is talking to Jabba the Hutt in the first film. And he says, you want to kiss me? Yeah. <laughs> and <Jabba laughs> says, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty great but it says oh i should mention this is uatu the watcher presenting this list star wars was re-released even i left the sanctity of my home on the earth's moon to see this opening night and it was a thrill to witness the majesty of the trilogy back on the big screen there were even new scenes though i don't think han would have let greedo shoot first if you hurry you can purchase the video so there you go han shot first was blazing bright at this time it's funny because like when that movie like was re-released like i never got to see it on the big screen i remember um i bugged my mom i'm like i want to go see this i what is this star wars i've never heard of this <laughs> and i remember she goes okay no problem we will definitely watch that and she goes to sam's club and buys the box set i'm like Oh, I don't have to go to a movie theater? Cool. Why not? I guess it came out super fast already. And I got to watch it, you know, through the uh, the black box one with the half faces on the covers. Yeah. And actually, when uh, Force Awakens came out, I dusted off the VCR, and that was the version I was watching of the uh, Holy Trilogy before everything uh, uh, went down. 
Yeah, I have the old so, CBS Fox releases, so those the very early ones. And that's what my family had growing up. And so grew up with them. And I was actually, when I was born, they called me Yoda. So I was very yeah. connected. But then I saw the first one in theaters, but I didn't see Empire or Jedi. For whatever reason, I didn't go back. So it's just like, first one's good. I saw it on the big screen. Finally, cool. I recently saw uh, Return of the Jedi for the uh, 40th anniversary re-release. And it was interesting because the first time I saw it twice in a week because it was date night with my girlfriend and I. We went to go to New York City to go see it at the uh, AMC on uh, 34th Street in New York City. And, you know, we're watching it and we watched it with the laser projection, which I'll be completely honest. If you watch an older movie, laser projection is a fun way to ruin a movie for you because like (laughs) it made everything look super old and dated. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. this is rough. And then fast forward a few days later it's may the 4th i'm dressed up as star lord you know because i want to do the cosplay for guardians later that day and i'm like you know what let's uh end one trilogy and then end another trilogy in the same day so i went to go see it again and i'm watching it you know in a regular schmegular projection i'm like okay good star wars is back to normal it looks normal again but like watching it in the laser version felt really weird yeah like definitely about the old grain i want it to look the way it should look yeah I, I totally did not recently purchase a bootleg uh, Blu-ray collection of uh, the Star Wars quote-unquote grindhouse editions, which are totally not 35 millimeter scans of the Holy Trilogy <laughs> with dirt and all. Obviously, no dirt and all because I don't own it. But what you did oh, do wait, wait, is much. read the next item on the list. Let's see what yes. we got here. So over here, we have Heroes for Hire and Alpha Flight reunited. Ah, Alpha Flight. WWE referee Jason Ayer's favorite team. Not only are Luke Cage and Iron Fist back together, but Canada's only super team is back in action as well. Believe it or not, the villainy of the master is affecting both teams. Quite a feat for a souped-up caveman, if you ask me. Then we got the little word balloons of one character yelling, word, and Iron Fist saying, power to the people. There we go. Yeah. So interesting. And this is, again, Alpha Flight is one that a lot of people, whatever we post ads or any mention with our scans online, they're like, oh, that was such a good run. Not enough people read that. So there's always one, you know. <laughs> I've wanted to check yeah. out Alpha Flight. Like I've heard nothing but good things, but it's like, you know, I just have never had the ability to do so. Never quite appealed to me. I've checked in on a few issues here and there. Just none of them ever grabbed me. So now the next one here, a swarm action figure was released. Eternity himself didn't foresee this eventuality. The buzzing villain even comes with bee armor. And yet Swarm has only appeared in a handful of comics and once in that Spider-Man cartoon with Miss Lion in it. Still no stilt man though. Man, Toy Biz went so bonkers with some of the characters. Like, this is a time frame where they're just like, you know what? The kids love comics. Let's throw every single character out there that we can. And like, you know, nowadays, like, it's a very risky move to make a character like, you know, Spy Master, who I always make fun of, Um, or, you know, like a lot of the, the hardcore characters. And then, you know, you fast forward like a year or two later, this is the same time frame that Toy Biz is releasing action adventure spider-man where you get they give him little outfits to wear over his spider-man outfits such as archer spider-man or fishing spider-man or snowboarding spider-man yeah my friends once gifted me for some reason they do i like comics they're like here this is soccer player spider-man it's literally just the mask and otherwise he's just in a a soccer jersey and tidy shorts and it it was yeah i was like this is not for me guys (laughs) no thanks all right what's the next one here the next one is kazar 
got interesting. For years, I have observed Kevin Plunder in the Savage Land, which has been difficult since the South Pole is at a weird angle to the moon. A few months ago, his adventures finally became noteworthy and worth following. No, really. Disagree. And I've read a few. I checked it out. I did I did not enjoy it. But what did you think? I remember reading one or two issues, and I thought it was okay. It wasn't the greatest. I think, wasn't it Mark Wade working on the title at that time? Yeah, it's not bad. I just don't like the premise is all. So it's just like, ah. Yeah. Like just at its core, Kazar doesn't work for me. I forgot when, when I read it, but I did love it. That's the weird part. All right, next one here. The Thunderbolts moved into Four Freedoms Tower. With the loss of you heroes, a new hero team called Thunderbolts sprung up. New York's mayor even offered them residence in the Fantastic Four's headquarters. I have pledged not to interfere with your affairs, but, um, Zemo. What? Who said that? <laughs> I have not read any Thunderbolts. And, like, recently Marvel just, like, I think they're either, they just solicited it or it just released. But they're going to be doing the uh, Epic Collection. And I saw that. I'm thinking to myself, you know, now is the time to pull the trigger. I kind of want to check that out. Or at least, you know, when they go on sale on Comixology, because those Epic Collections, I miss Marvel Essentials very badly. You know, a pound of comics for 20 bucks Mm -hmm. is pretty damn good. But those Epics, they're starting to pull out some really nice choices. And Thunderbolts is definitely a great way to check that out. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, read the first five issues or so, and it's really good because I got on Thunderbolts and really loved it, but it was post-Civil War when, like, Warren Ellis was writing it, Mike Diodato Jr. was drawing it, and that was a really fun series where it was like, it, it went into Dark Avengers, Thunderbolts became Dark Avengers, and so that was pretty cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, the one you gave me, <laughs> the next one. So let's just go with the word balloons of, I'm cold, I can tell. The Batman and Robin movie came out. The threat of Galactus didn't cause such despair. Even I, who have witnessed the deaths of galaxies, couldn't get past the scenes where little ice skates popped out of their booties. <laughs> it always made me think of Pro Stars, that old cartoon when Gretzky could do that. I was like, oh, it's so cool. But I think those were rollerblades for him. I remember uh, when I was in high school, like senior year, I was trying to go through the Batman movies and I remember watching one, two, three, and then I got up to that one and I was so Batmaned out. It was pissing me off after a little while. Like I'm just watching and I'm like, it, it was so camp and I understand why it's so camp. It's trying to be like the uh, Batman 66, but it was just so obnoxious with how it was that like I actually turned off my Xbox 360, took the DVD out, put it back in the case and I go, nope. Nope, Batman died. Batman he died. Couldn't believe that ending. Didn't expect <laughs> that to happen. So bless their hearts. They've tried. And, you know, I've I've revisited it since. My little thing was uh, I went to go to the uh, WWE Hall of Fame the night uh, Bruno San Martino was inducted by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And my biggest regret was there was a silence. And when Arnold came out, I wanted to yell at the top of my lungs, I still see you. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> Oh, you would have been escorted out and body slammed on the pavement. <laughs> Very big possibility. Oh, that's awesome, though. All right. Uh, next one here. No longer the case, obviously, uh, but Bucky's still dead. And if he wasn't, you know what he'd be saying right now. Hey, let me out of this box. Hey, hey, hey. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> and then you have a picture of Bucky and he's going, nobody loves me. Oh, how that has changed, man. People love their Bucky now. James Buchanan Barnes is a, is a favorite. So back in the day, people would always go on saying like in comics, you know, death is forever, except, you know, now it's all these characters are coming back. And at one point it was always Gwen is dead. Although or I'm post-clone. Yeah, stuff, exactly. I don't know anymore. Yeah. 
And then Bucky, Bucky was always the one, like he's always going to stay dead. And he came back and became the Winter Soldier. And, you know, now we really don't have a character like that. But then it got me thinking, we kind of do. Captain Marvel, Marvel, he's still dead. And I kind of love, like, and I've talked to Jim Starlin about it, like on our show where I said, like, what is it like? Like they respected those wishes, especially of how it was. And, you know, obviously you'll have to listen to that interview, but, you know, it was cool to see, like, they've honored that wish for so long. Although I sometimes feel like maybe he's just not cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just like, maybe it's more of an insult. It's like, cause if we had a really good story, we would bring him back, but we can't figure out any reason why anybody would want to see Marvel again, except to team up, you know, with, our current Captain Marvel, maybe, you know, and see what was going on there like they did back when she was Miss Marvel. But I don't know. Yeah, like it's because it, the, the one holdout, right, is Uncle Ben, because there's no good reason for him to come back. He doesn't have powers. He's not cool. He's just an inspiration. So they're going to do an Alpha Omega Uncle Ben story. It's going to be that. <laughs> there's going to be five spinoff series, uh, a tie in with a Jonathan Hickman book with a bunch of pie charts. And, you know, those pie charts become wheat cakes. And you know, we'll go from there. But <laughs> all right, what's our next one here? Speaking of killed. Next one, Graydon Creed was killed. As you heroes were whisked away, American presidential candidate Graydon Creed was assassinated. The X-Men were blamed and Operation Zero Tolerance, a government-sanctioned anti-mutant campaign, soon followed. If anyone has anything to blame on the X-Men, now is the time to do it. <laughs> Just pile it on. So there you go. Yeah, if you were big in the X-Men at this time, it seemed to matter because it came up a lot in the issues we've been reading. But at the same time, I was just like, okay, one more reason everybody hated the X-Men. They kind of already did. Last one here, though, the Spice Girls signed for a movie. On this note, yeah. <laughs> on this note, I consider human evolution to have come to an end. If the Celestials choose to destroy your world, I shall not stand in their way. <laughs> That's a very valid point. Oh, Spice World, Spice World. My high school group of friends that were girls, they loved the Spice Girls. They all had their character. <laughs> they were this Spice, they were that Spice. And uh, I remember going to their house and watching Spice World. So I was I was there for it. It was fun, I guess, at <laughs> that moment. It's, again, product of its time, you know? Like, I remember uh, we were, in, like I said, we were in uh, Anaheim, like as we're leaving Disneyland, one of the nights, there's like this little club, like right across the street and they're playing full blast Backstreet Boys. And I'm just like, it's that magic of, you know, teleportation of like nostalgia. And like back in the day, everyone made fun of that stuff. And now it's like, everybody. Yeah. And you know, it's like, you get that also with the Spice Girls, like regardless of anything, you hear one of those bops and you're just like nodding your head ever so slightly. It's true. You can't deny it. Well, Peter, we have had a great conversation here. I want to thank you so much for joining us to, to share your love of Marvel and great discussions here. Great tangents all the way along. Absolutely. <laughs> so why don't you tell people where they can find your podcast and you on the internet? So you can find us all over the internet in regards to the podcast on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, which is one of the ones I personally love using for the show. You can find us on SoundCloud, 
Just look for The Marvelists, M-A-R-V-E-L-I-S-T-S. Sometimes people just go Marvelous. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not that. But you were close. Technically, you're not, but technically, sure. You can also find myself on social media. I'm on Twitter at Peter Melnick, M-E-L-N-I-C-K. I'm on Instagram at Peter Melnick. You can find The Marvelists on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. And let's see what else. What else do I got to shamelessly promote? I don't know when it's coming back, but myself and John Escudero of Dirt Sheet Radio have a other show called Geek Sheet Radio, where we cover all of the topics in geek culture and haven't done that in a year. But hey, maybe we'll come back. Who knows? Well, excellent. Yeah, definitely check that out. Get your fix over there. Of course, you know where to find us. We're on social media at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. Are you getting on over to the YouTube channel, getting all the extra content separate from the podcast, all new, all exciting? Are you checking out the Patreon? Because as we mentioned here, we went on a lot of tangents. Not all of them will have made it into the show you're listening to on the main (gasps) feed. You can get it uncut and early. Yes, up to two weeks early you can enjoy this conversation and all the conversations to come plus a lot of bonus extras so if you want to get on over there patreon.com forward slash wizards comics five dollars a month gets you a full scan of the issue in pdf form and all the excitement that comes from being behind the scenes with wizards the podcast guide to comics I want to thank you once again peter for joining us thank you for listening and until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.